Artificial intelligence is one of the hottest topics around. Today on the Higher Learning Podcast, I talk with Leo Cunningham, the CISO of Aachen, and we discuss everything from how deep fakes and AI can be weaponized for consumers, what it's like to be able to hire great people for your team, and what he's looking for for candidates he's looking to join his company. Leo is a fascinating guy, based out of Scotland, has a ton of great experience, and the conversation we had around everything AI and hiring was absolutely incredible. I can't wait for you to listen to this episode and let us know what you think. Welcome to another episode of Higher Learning. I am your host, Oz Rashid. Today, my friends, we have a very special guest from overseas. We're here with Leo Cunningham. Leo is the Chief Information Security Officer at Aachen. Leo, how are you doing today? I'm good, thanks. I'm good. You okay? I'm doing great, buddy. I got to ask you, we got to start here. I'm not sure I've had any Scotland-based guests yet, so I want to ask, how long you lived in Scotland? What's it like there from like a business and economy perspective? How is it different than, I know a lot of our listeners are in the UK or in England and in the United States. Tell us how it might be a little bit different in Scotland. Yeah, well, well first of all, the weather is never good in Scotland. I think we <laughs> maybe get five weeks of sunshine per year. That's probably why most Scottish people are slightly miserable. Um, so yeah, I've lived here most of my life. Um, so over 40 years uh, in terms of what makes Scotland different. Um, again, we're part of the United Kingdom, so we have uh, obviously good uh, trading relationship with like the rest of the UK, England. We have a massive tech hub here as well, predominantly financial services, and we have a lot of emerging startups. And we, we also have unicorns here. So we have FanDuel, we have Rockstar Games. So yeah, we, we're a small nation, but we pack a lot of punch. Yeah. Yeah. I've always actually been amazed by that because you're right. There is a ton of financial services there. There is a tech startup scene out there that belies kind of, you know, what I would consider, you know, in terms of from a global economy perspective, is that government-based? Is that talent-based? Like what, what has caused companies to, to want to be there and have presence there like that? Yeah, I think it's like anywhere, you know, if you incentivize companies to to move uh, and obviously hire people, then it's less tax. You see that with like um, Republic of Ireland and and recently in Northern Ireland. Um, so, yeah, we have a, an amazing talent base here, um, predominantly in a lot of things like software engineering, software development, and probably why we've been able to scale quite a lot of companies um, over the past few years. I love it. I mean, MSH Scotland is is in the works. And here in Florida, we get a lot more than five weeks of sun. So maybe we'll have to do some sort of exchange program here. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Sounds good. Uh, so let's start here. I want to talk about your company, Aachen. And it's an AI-enabled biotechnology company. AI is obviously a big topic uh, on everybody's mind right now in a lot of different ways. And we're going to get a little bit deeper into that. But I'm interested. I want to hear a little bit about the company, why you decided to join this company, what the vision of it is, what's exciting about what Aachen is doing. Yeah, so for me, um, the predominant reason why I joined Ockham was it's an it's amazing mission around AI. So we effectively integrate the best of human and artificial intelligence to deliver better drug and diagnostics at scale. So what does that actually mean? It means that we we can build predictive models that validate um, that are validated by medical experts. That information can be used in conjunction with like pharma or any other industry to help create possibly down the line some cures for various different diseases and also help us um, effectively look at casual links between diseases and medications. Um, so yeah, everyone's affected by various different diseases, um, things like cancer and stuff. Um, and you know, the reason I joined Ockham was to help them fulfill their mission and help security scale alongside that um, to ensure that we protect our intellectual property and ensure that we deliver our mission of, um, you know, trying to get these breakthroughs 
in certain diseases. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, our company does a lot of work in the healthcare space, the biotechnology space, actually in the climate space. And you find that people who join these industries, it's it's very mission driven. It's something that you feel very good about the work that you're doing and how it's providing, you know, benefits, the greater good. Is this your first time stepping into the kind of the healthcare space or is this something that you've done? Um, no, no. Well, healthcare related and um, previous company I worked at was Flow Health. Um, that is a company that specifically focused on female health and well-being. Um, so massive user base, I think it's about 275 million users of an application. And I think the had a larger health data set than Apple Health. Um, so when I was there, I scaled all of the security functions. We were dealing with about 40 million cyber attacks a week. Um, so that sensitive detail, um, well, female information can go for quite a high premium on the dark web. So again, you know, a, a mission-driven company where you can build security as a huge benefit. So, yeah. That's incredible. So listen, you are the Chief Information Security Officer, CISO for short for the organization. I'm always fascinated how people get into the lines of work that they do. Is this something that like as a kid you were drawn to? Like, were you the one like in elementary school who's like, this guy's cheating. We got to, we got to, he's cheating on the test right here. Or he copied this. <laughs> like, were you always kind of drawn to kind of security? Is this something, or is this something that developed as you, as you went through school and later on? Yeah. Well, let's say like kind of younger years, you know, I was fascinated with how things work, the mechanics of technology. Um, probably because I don't know, maybe inherently understand a lot of my own flaws and try to fix them. And then that kind of transfers into multiple different things like technology, but I actually had a non-conventional path towards security. It was actually through um, a gap year trip to Australia where that really piqued my interest. I actually landed a job with a, a large retailer um, and it was really my first exposure to larger IT networking infrastructure. There's something called PCI DSS um, compliance, which is predominantly around card data. Um, and that comes with elements of network security, online security. So I've always experimented with computing in general, tried to learn some programming. Um, and I guess that opportunity kind of kick-started a 20-year career of kind of working in multiple different companies, getting different exposures to different industries. And I've had multiple different roles within security. So that gave me more, more exposure to multiple domains of cybersecurity. Yeah. Mm, interesting. I love that. So here's the thing. I, I know we're recording a podcast right now, but honestly, this is like the type of conversations that I just want to benefit from. I want to learn from. So I want to put some things on the table because I want to talk about where AI is going. And I know there's a lot of conversations happening right now, but I think you have a unique point of view, a global point of view that I think will really help some of our listeners kind of get their heads around some of this. And so anybody who listens to the podcast or knows anything about what I what, what I think and what I believe, I'm a big technology optimist. I believe that AI overall is going to provide a lot of benefit for us professionally, uh, personally, in a lot of different ways. Um, that doesn't mean that there's not downside though. There's always downside and we got to do everything we can to mitigate the downsides, especially when the power of it is what it is in AI. And so I want to I want to hone in there because this is something that I know you're thinking about a lot. Obviously, you're thinking about it for your company, but of course, you're also thinking about it in terms of, you know, on a global scale and from a from a political perspective and from a you know social perspective. There's all these different impacts that that are coming and AI is moving way faster um, than we're able to even get our heads around. I mean, just like I know there was an AI conference, uh, ChatGPT conference yesterday, and they're talking about some of the developments, and it's really the technology is moving at a pace that we've never seen before. The United States really recently had uh, the Biden administration 
put out an executive order on how they're going to regulate it. And, you know, this is the type of thing that I think, you know, is good intention, but ultimately will look like, you know, medieval scripts, you know, three or four months with now, just because of how much things are changing. So let's talk about how when AI gets in the hand of bad actors, right, how it can be weaponized. Um, how do you think that this is going to, what are the implications of this over the next 12 to 24 months? Here in the U.S., we've got an election coming up. There's concern on deep fakes. There's concerns on how AI is going to be leveraged to either take advantage of individuals or collectives. What do you see? What do you think are the kind of the concerns? And then I definitely want to talk about how we might be trying to mitigate some of those things. Yeah, excellent topics. And, you know, I think it's it's so easy to go on the dark web, find a marketplace and pay someone to hack a company commit fraud and cause serious damage. So what does that actually look like? That's, you could go to various different sellers. They can create things like a bot attack. So a cluster of different machines. That Leo, let me ask you something real quick. Yeah. Can yeah. you explain what the dark web is for maybe somebody listening? Yeah, of not course. familiar with it. Yeah, so the dark web is a layer underneath the traditional internet, um, which is uh, traditionally um, accessed via um, a Tor browser. So a specific browser that allows you to access the layer underneath what we would class as the everyday internet. Then it has specific IP addresses that you can find openly on the internet that can lead to a marketplace where you can either buy illicit material, drugs, hire a hitman. You know, you can do a whole host of different things. You can buy credit card information that's been stolen. You can also hire hackers or entities that can act on your behalf for cryptocurrency exchange and then ultimately attack a company or specifically target someone. Let's say you've been in a relationship that didn't work out well and you want to make someone's life a complete misery. Some people would probably go on the dark web, find a marketplace, pay someone, and then they would hack your accounts, maybe create um, impacts on your credit file. So on these um, marketplaces on the dark web, there are various different sellers who can provide various tools. Um, which are AI-driven or reversed engineered tools, um, which would kind of have the counter impact. So some security companies may ha have an AI tool that can protect your company. Well, there are people reverse engineering that technology to make it bad instead of good. Um, and you touched upon um, things like deep fakes and, and everything else. You know, you can now get to the point where I would imagine over the next two years, you can fully replicate someone's voice, their image. You can apply that to deep fake technology and you, that can be used to manipulate or incite, I don't know, maybe things like racial hatred, political agendas, create more animosity with things like Ukraine-Russian um, situation that's going on at the moment and more recently, obviously, Israel um, and Palestine. So these technologies can be used for even for as little as you know a few hundred dollars or a few thousand dollars to create serious global conflicts. Um, and more recently, I think in the past couple of years, it was Cambridge Analytica, mm -hmm. um, who's a great example of using these AI technologies and tools to manipulate voters. You mentioned the US election to specifically target demographics of people. Um, I know Cambridge Analytica were exposed for specifically targeting various different profiles of people of ethnic backgrounds to make sure that they don't vote how they should vote or how they would like to vote within an election. So these things have massive consequences and these things can be done for, you know, a little or no amount of money, um, yeah, which is that's... actually terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot there. Um, I was at a 
party in Silicon Valley uh, about a month ago, and it was in the backyard of some ridiculous house. And they had the world coin has this like sphere that I think reads eyes and is able to kind of differentiate between real human versus AI. And there's some controversy around it. I know there's been some legalities around it country to country. But do you find that that technology that maybe is going to not necessarily that one, but others like it, where there's going to be watermarks that can tell you this is the reg- like, you know, like we used to have on Twitter now called X verification that somebody yeah. was actually the person that it seemed to be. Do you see that being kind of the first phase of how we're going to be able to fight and mitigate these things that this is the genuine article versus this is something that was built in AI? Yeah, well, well I mean, you look at people who have now developed anti chat GPT tooling. Um, which is a, a huge a breakthrough because obviously people were maybe passing their dissertations, thesis, degrees, exams using ChatGPT. Now they have developed tools to detect if that's been driven by AI, which is um, kind of crazy when you think about it as well. But also the kind of anti-AI movement will unlock Pandora's box, in my opinion. So I think you're gonna we're gonna find a major struggle on both sides. But um, yeah, I mean. We're seeing technologies in China where they have 98% coverage of CCTV and facial scanning. You know, whether that's tied to a specific social scoring that they've implemented um, or right through to tracking criminals or people who don't adhere to the communist agenda that's politically obviously taken over China in recent decades. So, yeah, for every good thing, there's going to be a bad thing that that comes up. Yeah. Yeah. And listen, so where do you think the... uh line of responsibility is to monitor to authenticate to regulate this is it at the government is it in the public sector level is it at the private level is it at the individual level where do you think we can best tackle this from 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 mitigating some of these downsides well i think in my opinion big tech control the politicians um and then you would have private civilian groups that would kind of counter against that i think in order to to make sure that AI doesn't destroy the world. Um, there's been many, many experiments where it wants to break off and do its own thing, um, rightfully so. But, you know, there needs to be a harmony between all of these groups to ensure that, you know, we can correctly regulate it. We have the correct mindset and people that help us make policies that ensure that we don't cause dangers or we don't cause global conflicts to escalate. And also that we don't change a narrative where that discriminates against people. Um, so all of these entities need to work together, but um, it seems to me, whoever has the deepest pockets will control these technologies, which is very unfortunate. Follow the money, right? All right, I'm exactly. going to ask you the level of concern for the next 18 to 24 months, one to 10, 10 being, uh-oh, one being, you know what, well, you know, not not even worried about it. Where do you sit? Oh, it depends on the the processing capability. So okay. again, there could be conflicts in Taiwan because they produce all of the the well the fastest chips and everything else so that will determine i think where things go um but i think if you said you know maybe in what does the next three to five years look like uh you know i'm kind of sitting on a six or a seven yeah i would be deeply concerned okay oh wow geez puppy dogs and lollipops it isn't but you know what the more that we're upfront about those types of things and identify these things up front the better that we can mitigate them um, there's obviously great power in these things and you know, with great power comes great responsibility. And for us to be naive enough to think that everybody's going to take that kind of mantra, um, is probably folly. So I'm hopeful that from some level we can come together, um, and figure this out. I- I'll ask you this because, you know, the listeners, um, are, are going to be able to have to handle this at an individual level. So do you have any 
specific recommendations when you see a video, when you see something on the news, when you read an article, what are some things that you would recommend to the average consumer, whether they're like, I'm not sure if this is real or not, but gosh, it's really infuriating me. And, you know, how would you tell people to handle information as they get it um, in, in today's day and age? Yeah, well, I think you kind of touched upon trusting your instincts there. You know, if people are hesitant, you know, again, these things are coming at such a rate where, you know, probably a high percentage of news is dictated by maybe one or two companies. There is a narrative there. So again, always verify the types of information that you get. If it sounds too good to be true, then it probably is. If it sounds like everything's perfect in the world, then it isn't. You know, and likewise, if everything's just like a kind of doomsday prophecy, then it's like something must be driving this because, you know, I I personally can't remember that the last time I heard a really good story in the news or something positive in the world. Well, that's so, incentive structure, though, too, right? Like, I mean, like, yeah. that's well, if it bleeds, it leads at the end of the day, right? So, at the yeah, end of the day, yeah. that people will turn on the TV for bad news a lot of the times, or they read something because it, it puts fear in them. And so, if that's what's happening, and these are private entities that money off of this, then of course, follow the money. That's what's going to lead. That's what's always going to be there. I, I see that. I try to parse through that myself. I tend to believe, I, I, and, and I guess this is more of a minority position than ever, but. I think we're living in the best times in human history, right? From a death rate perspective, from a uh, mortality perspective of infants, from a perspective of uh, financials and third world countries versus where we were 50 years ago versus where we are now, to the abundance of technology, to the access of cell phones and information and education. Um, you know, there's a lot of good things happening too, right? And so that's, that's not to say that there's not a lot of terrible things and a lot of oppression and a lot of bad things, but I think there's good things too. We just don't hear as much about that. My take on this is, and I think, I hope what happens is people start to have a healthy dose of skepticism because I think we, uh, we, because of the attention economy being what it is and, and things changing over so fast and so many different, you know, uh, bulbs going off at any given time trying to take our attention, there's this thought process that we have to come to decisions very quickly. And unless you are uh, the president or, 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 or a CEO of a company in a lot of cases, very few things are decisions that need to be made instantaneously. And so we should take advantage of that, right? When we hear something, what I always talk about and what we tell, what I tell my people here at the company is, I am not somebody that has judgments as much as I collect data points. And so what I mean by that is if somebody shows up late to a meeting and it's the first time I ever meet them, right? I'm not necessarily going to be like, oh my God, this person's completely disrespectful. They're late for everything. I'm going to say, okay, I'm going to keep that in the back of my head, right? And then I meet them again the second time and they're on time. Then that kind of fills in that last data point. Or if they're late again, it's like, okay, let me keep up on this. And now once I collect enough, now I come to an assumption. And I think it's the same thing with news and things that we hear. Like to have these like big opinions, to be going and arguing and debating, to be able to do all these different things without waiting for more full information and also hearing different perspectives and validating some of the things that we see in here. To me, that's the best thing. Is it is it is it going to be bulletproof? Absolutely not, right? Yeah. But I think the more that we do it and the, the less that we're reactive and more seek to understand, the better off we'll all be, right? Um, any take on that or what do you think? Is that, no, is that I completely advice? agree. I think it's about taking stock and, you know, if we're talking specifically about the media, you know, try and verify that information, you know, don't get caught up in multiple different narratives, thousands of different conspiracies, you know, nine out of 10 news channels saying the same thing, you know, it's like, eventually you start to train yourself to understand patterns and things that look right, things that are suspicious, 
that's even things like emails, you know, and various different social media and everything else that you use. Um, so again, you know, trust your instincts and take stock, as you said, you know, kind of reflect if these things start to repeat or things don't add up, then something genuinely isn't right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think the other thing I would say is that, you know, I can talk sp specifically for our country, but I do think a lot of times like we're forced to go to one end or the other, right? There's very little nuance or gray area in looking at any different topic or anything that people are debating about. And so I just think that the more that you can, you know, sometimes people draw a line too, because things can be so divisive and they say, well, this person morally just does not sit where I want. So I want nothing to do with them. I want, I don't want to hear anything about them which I understand that I can, I can, I can empathize with that, but I would also say you cannot live in an echo chamber. And so yeah. I would say as you curate your feeds or as you seek out sources, I think it's okay to go and, and maybe not go to the far right or the far left, but maybe find something that's a little left of center, right of center and get different perspectives and point of views, because the reality is we're all very complex individuals. And what really people are trying to do one way or another is put us over here or all the way over here. And I think for the most part, most people sit on this spectrum, right? And and yeah. we want to stay there. And he, whether it be news or politics or or companies, it's always like pick your side. And I don't think it necessarily has to be that way. I don't think it's I think it's a false choice. So anyway, that's a little bit about what I think are ways that we can overcome some of this stuff. Maybe it's a little bit too nuanced of a take, but to me, as individuals, we have a responsibility yeah. to not just be reactive to everything we see. And hopefully that plays out. So now people who just listen to this podcast for the first time are like, what podcast is this? Is it a news podcast? Is it a tech podcast? It's a hiring podcast. Would you believe it? So we got to ask some hiring questions. So I know, Leo, you've done a ton of hiring throughout your career. Yeah. I'm sure you have some, some, some philosophies, some things that stand out in terms of bringing the best talent into your organization. What a segue, by the way, huh? Um, let's start here. Overall hiring and interview philosophy for you, people you're bringing into your organization or team when you're interviewing, anything that comes to mind when I ask that? Um, I, th I think for me, you know, key thing when when I'm hiring is the passion of an individual, you know, the excitement, um, you know, have they done their research on a company, you know, what are they doing externally outside of kind of working life, you know, do they have a good profile externally, are they doing talks, do they have projects that are working on blogs, these things are very, very important. And, you know, maybe we touch upon personal brand, I think it's very, very important as a hiring manager and as well as someone that is effectively an applicant to a job. Um, you know, these things are really good because let's face it, when you're doing research in a company, you're going to do your research on the hiring manager. And likewise, if, you know, I'm interviewing candidates, I think in the past three years, I've potentially interviewed about 150 people. Oh, wow. So it's very, very important to understand the psychology of people as well and, and understand their motivations for joining your company and joining your team. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with you. I think we're all drawn to passion in some form or another. It doesn't mean you have to be passionate about everything. Those yeah. people can be exhausting. But having passion for something, to me, is a sign that I can draw that out to you as a leader in a company, right? If you, like, people who are just apathetic about pretty much everything or cynical about everything, that's really hard to work with from a mindset perspective and just a enjoying coming to work perspective. But if you have passion about cooking or you have passion about your favorite sports team or you're passionate about your family or whatever it might be, then I tend to think, okay, well, that's passion that we can kind of drive out of you here at our yeah. company. Once you see our purpose, once you see our people, once you see your role within that, I, you know, we joke around a lot here. Like I'd much rather have somebody that on the team that I have to say, hold up instead of sick them. If I have to tell you, uh, to, if I have to tell you to be assertive about things or take ownership of things or grab the bull by the horns on things. And I constantly have to do that. 
that's tough to work with. But if you're somebody that naturally is go get them and it has that kind of passion to to make impact and do things, it's a lot easier to rein that person in. So totally aligned with you on that. What about from a memorable interview perspective? Because when I ask you for a memorable interview, is there one that comes to mind? Maybe you were interviewing or you interviewed somebody. Give us something. Yeah, yeah. so I'll give one from when I was interviewed. Um, So many years ago, I interviewed at FanDuel. You're probably familiar with those guys. Um, The hospitality from every single person was completely amazing. It blew me away. I was coming from an organization where it wasn't a positive environment to work in, let's be honest. But everyone from receptionist, right through to, I think, five different people. So they had like a rotation room. So you sit there, people come in, 30-minute bursts. And it was like a kind of whole day process. Every single person understood the company's mission, understood what they were trying to do. And they, yeah, effectively shared all of their passion as well. And it kind of really puts, put me at ease. And, you know, it was a really good good process. And, you know, thankfully I got the job at the end of it. Um, but yeah, from a... You know, when I'm interviewing people, um, you know, I actually interviewed someone who had a non-conventional cybersecurity um, background. They applied, they applied for a, a role previously. It didn't kind of line up. And, you know, I decided, hey, I'm going to take a punt, going to get them back on a call. And, you know, they turned out to be one of the best people I've ever hired. And, wow. you know, for me, that was a, a huge turnaround because sometimes I think, when you're in a specific industry or you're looking for a specific skill, you're kind of just like siloed or just blinkered by that instead of kind of looking outside of the box and saying, hey, well, this person isn't entirely perfect for this domain. You know, cybersecurity under like something like um an ISO framework has 14 different domains. That's massive, you know? So for me, it was like this person ticks a box for maybe one or two, but their work ethic, their application to learn and just their attitude was incredible from day one, and I never regretted it. And yeah, I love that. And and so I want to go back to the FanDuel experience you had because that resonates with you. I'm sure that was part of the reason that you took the job because it makes you feel welcome. It makes yeah. you want to be want to be there. And I just companies that can pull that off, right? It's I, it, it's a con. Like I, you know, I want to ask the question: Is it the people they hire? Is it the people that they had interviewing you, and they knew that, and they put them there in that particular place? Is it the training? Is it the something they put in the water? Maybe it's all of these things. Who knows, right? But you feel that, especially as a customer, like let's say when I go to a hotel and everybody I talk to from the housekeeping to the front lobby, to the concierge, to the valet, whatever it may be, right? And they've got that energy, that excitement, that boost, like that stands out. That's culture at the end of the day. And that people are drawn to that. It's very hard to do because we all have things going on and it's hard, especially as you scale as an organization to kind of keep those things special. But it's it's really, really amazing when it happens. And especially when you feel it in an interview, I think it's more important there than maybe anywhere else, because the people who are interviewing, they should they should be consistent. They should have that vision. They should be excited about the company, because at the end of the day, I believe that hiring is mostly marketing. And so and, and, and let's be honest, part of it is sales when you're in this interview process, not necessarily selling somebody into the job, but exemplifying and carrying yourself as a brand ambassador for the company naturally gets people excited and wants them to work there. And whether you know that or not, when you show up late to an interview, when you ask questions that are really out of pocket, when you don't follow up and give feedback or go dark, when you like just don't respect people in their time, you're just not going to get the right level of talent to want to come to your company. Great attracts great. And so at the end of the day, if you see that in the interview process, you're more likely to want to take a job there. Um, 
God, that was a lot of talk about FanDuel. Do you think we can get them as a sponsor? Is that a possibility? We should think. <laughs> um, I'll put I'll put some calls in. We yeah, listen, you used to work there. Help me out, okay? Put me in touch with marketing. Um, so next question: What's your favorite question to ask? Do you have a favorite question to ask? Yeah, yeah. My favorite question to ask is: um, Tell me about the worst boss you ever had. Oh, it's such a curveball. I've seen people come mentally cave. I've seen people just get really fired up and you know for me the whole purpose of asking that question is to ultimately see if they can learn from it or maybe they've learned some behaviors or they've maybe been able to identify characteristics that they wouldn't like to bring into the company that you're hiring into um so yeah i mean for me i'm looking for a balance of honesty any mm -hmm. lessons learned from dealing with that those types of personalities and ultimately um I think it shows maturity as well. You, you know, if, if let's face it, everyone's had a bad boss. I've had quite a few in my time. And if they're listening, hey. <laughs> so, no, but hey, it's not you. I'm not talking about you. I'm not naming names, but it's not you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no. yeah, that, that's my kind of... That, I love it. Here's what we like to do on the old Higher Learning Podcast. We like to answer the questions that people throw out there. So I'm going to do that. Let me see. What is my worst boss? All right, I'm going to give you a description of the, the worst boss I, I had, or at least the one that comes to mind when you ask this. I had a manager that um, owned the company that I was working in. It was a very smaller firm, boutique firm. Um, and a couple of different things that he did that um, didn't make me feel great about my engagement at, at work. Number one, treating me based on my results. So when I came in and I struggled, wouldn't give me the time of day. Then I had success and then was you know lauding me and praising me. And I was the greatest thing since sliced bread. Then I didn't have success again. And somehow that turned around, boomeranged again. And somehow I was not um, all it was cracked up to be. So that level of whiplash and that level of I'm only as good as your results really killed me. The other, another thing that he did was um, there was one person in the company that was doing things from a sales perspective. I was doing things from an ops perspective. We were becoming very close. I think this threatened him. I think he tried to divide and wedge us in different ways and kind of talk bad about each other. That's very divisive. That's very insecure. Um, there was also some different things just from like a development perspective that I didn't think I was getting feedback perspective. I didn't think I was getting, um, you didn't always know, like there was things that were being talked about behind closed doors that weren't necessarily being talked about up front, which I just loathe. And what's amazing about this is that all of those things that I just told you are, th it's like when you have a parent that does something really wrong. And then you're like, when I have kids, I'm going to do this completely the opposite way. I would tell you a lot of what our company is about and what we've done and what we've been about is actually the anti of some of those things and it's built and baked into our culture. Uh, I'm sure there are other problems we have here and then maybe somebody goes and starts their own company and does their own thing. But at the end of the day, I've really made sure that those things that really bothered me as an employee are things that we try to be conscious of and empathetic of as a leader. What about you? Worst manager, you got to tell me now. Yeah, I had a manager who... Um would weaponize every single thing against everyone else because they were so insecure that they could admit that they were wrong. I'll give an example. They spent, they wasted about 25 million um, on a, a vanity project to move the company towards a cloud provider. They only hired like three people to do it <laughs> and like wouldn't, wouldn't take anyone else's advice. When you would speak to them, they would agree with you. The minute your back was turned out the office, Every decision you just spoke about was either put in the bin or reversed completely. Um, so that person was, uh, yeah, just apathetic towards anything. Um, didn't really believe in anything other than their own agenda, which was like, you know, everyone wants to go this way and you want to go that way. Uh, you know, how can several hundred people be wrong? 
if they all agree in the same thing in same direction and you want to go that way. So um yeah, that's yeah. just how it is. Yeah. Oof, God giving me giving me hives just thinking about it. We're very anti bad manager here. So I appreciate you sharing <laughs> that story. Hopefully somebody's listening to that and they can say, Am I doing that? And when they can they can improve and be better for their people. What about creating a realistic job preview? How do you make people understand what it might be like to work at Aachen or work for you? What are, what are the things that you try to do? Because it can't all just be puppy dogs and lollipops. Like you got to make sure that they understand what they're walking into. How do you do that? How do you make that part of the candidate experience? Yeah, I think for me, it's about being honest. So if things aren't great, you're like, this is the reason why we're hiring for this. Here is a hundred day plan. So here's like your first three months or whatever. This is what you're getting yourself into. Here's what we're trying to do detail any ambition that you have, your team, the colleagues that this individual will be working with, and also look at here's where we're going to invest maybe in technology and here's where we're going to invest in you as a person. Because at the end of the day, if you do not make a company about the people who work there, then it's just going to, I don't know, you'll end up becoming something like Uber or WeWork and just it'll implode. It'll become a vanity project that just destroys itself. So yeah, I think being honest is is probably the number one thing if things aren't good tell them but tell them you are the person that can fix this you are the key that can unlock all of uh, all of these issues um and and help us get in a better place and hopefully that person has the right mindset to then say hey it may seem rocky or it may seem absolutely amazing so it can go either way in terms of a person either really wants a challenge in their life and they'll be receptive to that or they just want to stick their feet up and maybe they want to go in a different direction. So, yeah. Yeah. Listen, Uber, we work. Those are two companies going in very different directions right now. I think Uber just had profitability for multiple quarters in a row. And so I think, you know, things are going well there from a perspective of kind of growth. And then we work obviously declare for bankruptcy very recently. So yeah. um, definitely two different companies going in different directions. Um, I want to ask you uh, about somebody you've missed on that you hired. Um, yeah. Maybe it's happened a bunch of times and there's a theme, or maybe you can think of one in particular and we don't need to get into the details, but when you miss on somebody, like, what do you look back on and say, I wish I would have done this differently, or I wish I would have dug a little bit deeper here. You know, for me, it typically, typically comes down to, it's like a space race. If you find a really good candidate, they're going to have multiple offers or they are on the market. Um, we talk about unicorns. I did this huge blog recently on Medium and it talks about recruitment and, um, you know, these tech unicorns or people that you're hiring. That was a shameless plug there. My apologies. But yeah, yeah for me, it's about, you know, making sure you have a really good offer, um, you know, having a really good plan for them. And, but ultimately the reason why these people, you don't land them is because maybe there's a slow turnaround for me personally, that's happened a few times where we've had a, an exceptional candidate. They've given us a deadline and we couldn't get an offer out. Um, I've been in situations where we had an individual and it took two months to get an offer. That's insane. You should be able to interview an offer within a couple of weeks because that is how buoyant the market can be. Obviously, mm -hmm. things have slowed down. You've probably seen that in the US with hiring. But again, when when the floodgates open, it's going to be people we get snapped up within a week. Yeah. Yeah. And the funny thing is, I and I've talked to thousands of candidates. They read into your speed and your ability to move and understand and be clear as a sign of your culture and who you are. If it's slow, they assume that's going to be the case for your company's pace or how you make decisions and things like that. So I just, I, I, I hope companies understand how important that experience and timing is to showing and reflecting who you are as a company, much like with FanDuel right? For you. Hopefully that was a reflection of what you got when you worked at the company. Yeah, very fast. And, you know, I think you've just 
spoke about agile recruitment and agile hiring. That again, you know, someone who's worked in multiple tech companies, it likes to get things done quite quickly. Obviously, on the cyber side, it can be quite chaotic at times. But again, if if you're taking months to close someone, then you onboard them. Then it just takes months to get things moving. Again, that's usually, as you said, a reflection of the culture and the company. If they're rapid, then so will their execution to get things done in the company because that's just part of their culture. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So you're a tech guy. You do done a lot of hiring throughout your career. I'm interested when you are in front of candidates, what type of technology are you using? Are you using post-it notes? Are you using Excel, Airtable? Are you have an ATS that you like to use? How do you feel about the technology? Does it inhibit or does it enable you to do better hiring? What do you see out there? Yeah, so again, communication tools, Slack is king. Um, I'm not really a fan of Microsoft products anymore. I think they've kind of just grown old. Um, you know, from hiring tools, um, Greenhouse is a favorite because you can and you can build client profile or candidate profile. You can build in scorecards. You can tie everything into like your um, HR systems like HiBob and anything else you may be using out there. So that kind of helps centralize your tooling for hiring. Um, in terms of things like, I don't know, physical hardware, MacBook, the, the king, um, even though I'm a Windows guy, uh, just it took me years to get used to a Mac. But um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of, the foray of, of tools without kind of boring everyone talking about AWS, GCP and multiple different security tools and everything else. But for, from a recruitment point of view, um, yeah, Greenhouse is, is really smooth for what you need. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks real quick, Jackie. So editing wise, we can use AI deepfake to get him to not say Greenhouse and instead say Aon. Is that something that we can make happen? Yeah, we're going to have to figure that out. Um, no, I'm kidding. Listen, we have a lot of respect <laughs> for the competitors out here. We're going to kick their ass fair and square. I'll give you a demo. We'll show you what we can do. But I appreciate you being honest and transparent about that. We do think that there is technology that can enable and empower and make things better. I think what's out there is limited right now, but I do agree that there is good technology that can make things better. So I appreciate that answer. Very excited about that. And I'm, I'm being tongue in cheek. I'm just joking around. Um, so I love your answers. You obviously have done a lot of great hiring throughout your career. It sounds like a lot of people will listen to this and know what it's going to be like to work for Leo and know what it's like to work for Akin. So that's very, very good stuff. I want to dive into a little bit of a different direction. Let's talk about this. You're a CISO. I know when I ask executives a lot of time, what is a day in the life like, right? In terms of this meeting, 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 meeting. But I think not a lot of people have a full understanding of what your role is in a company. So I guess what I would ask, what is the day in the life of a productive CISO? What are the type of things they're doing? Is it like putting out a bunch of fires? Is it more building proactive measures? Is it meeting with the C-suite to talk to them about the importance? Like, to help me understand what kind of the, the key kind of tasks and things that you do on a day-to-day -day basis in your role are. Yeah, so I'll, I'll kind of go slow and then I'll ramp it up. So again, you know, you're kind of waking up in the morning, slacking emails like anyone else is probably um, essential. Having daily stand-ups with colleagues in my team to understand the lay of the land, what's going on, and anything that we need to effectively assess. Um, we could have, you know, security events. We could have things... Some someone's done something in a company that we need to help fix. Um, and again, looking at current data sets, trends, looking at security events. Um, for me as a, a proactive CISO, I think it's important to continuously network with people. Mm. Um, you know, for me, I pride myself in going into a company and knowing everyone from, I don't know, the receptionist to the cleaner to the barista, anyone that, that's involved top to bottom. And for me, everyone's the, the exact same level. I think that's quite important because then 
psychologically when people talk about security, whether it's cyber, whether it's physical, they are relaxed when they talk about it. And um, so for me, I'm, I'm working a lot on formulating plans for things like our KPIs, OKRs, and um, education, continuous education. Um, you know, I'm kind of seen as a subject matter expert in the company um, when it comes to security, but I'm not a subject matter expert on AI, machine learning. So I think it's important to build rapport with your colleagues to kind of formulate hybrid strategies, make them part of what you're actually doing instead of being dictated to. So, yeah. I love that growth mindset, always looking to get better. And like you said, having people be comfortable and being able to talk to you about the issues they see or the risks they see makes you better at your job. So I think that's really smart. Is there anything you're working on right now that you're especially juiced about? Anything you're especially excited about? Yeah, I won't name any vendors, but we are talking to someone just now who is a complete game changer for cloud security. Um, I think they just recently closed several hundred million. And I, I, I don't know what series E or D they're at, at the moment, but yeah, they're, they're going to take us to a whole new level, which I'm very, very excited about um, and give us more intelligence um, because I think in security or any kind of role that you're in, data is king. The math doesn't lie ultimately. So you can use that intelligence to help shape and foster better relationships and also change the culture. So yeah, we're really excited about that. Um, we're very close to concluding. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I wish I could go public about it. Uh, that's how excited I am. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I really love that. All right. Last question, Leo, because I've kept you a while and I appreciate it. I know it's getting late in Scotland. So let me ask you this. If you had one bit of career advice that you could offer to 20 year old Leo that maybe you didn't know then, but you know now, or maybe for any of our early in career listeners, what would that advice be? Oh, wow. You put me in the spot here. Um, I would say that things will get easier, um, but, conti but, but continue to work hard um because there's going to be many many challenges in your life many many rejections and many many elements of self-doubt but just stay the course um and you'll be fine yeah i love that what great advice leo i've really appreciated you being on i've learned a lot through our conversation i think people are going to really enjoy it thanks so much for joining me on higher learning podcast we will talk again soon sir thanks again Oz. cheers have a good one